You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Said it last night. My heart, my soul, my gut, they all want to be so snarky about the Knicks because I'm so used to hearing about every superstar headed to the Mecca and then it not happening. I'm so used to the Knicks being a topic of conversation even when they're not relevant. But listen, if us gas-bagging talking heads here at ESPN and every other media outlet are going to insist on always making the Knicks a story, at least now it's a good story. Because they did it again last night. Eight straight wins. Honestly, I can't even make fun of them anymore. They are a relevant team in the fourth slot in the East. They are fun to watch. They've got Tom Thibodeau grit. They do their job. And here we are, looking at a Knicks team that's absolutely turned things around from the last couple years. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. And we're going to get right into tons of NBA talk with some quickies. Quickies with Spain and Fitz. We get in and out of topics fast. That's right. There is way too much NBA stuff to get to, Fitz, to not do it in Quickies fashion. And jump right in on the Knicks. I mean, we set it up last night as they were heading into a game with the Hawks. They end up winning in overtime. Julius Randle is a beast again at 40. Eight straight wins and and eight wins in a row. This is this is this is no longer a fluke. They're good. They're okay. Uh oh. I mean, uh, Here see, comes. Look, now I'm too dug in. I said they were trash earlier, so now I feel like I got to be dug in on it. You're right. I this mean, is a why start being consistent fun. now? I mean, that, that's fair. You know, I'm just going to continue to flip until I'm right. Eventually, if you take both sides of every issue, eventually you'll be right. And, you know, maybe that'll make me rich someday. Uh, no, I, look, this is a Knicks team that is fun to watch. And also, this is a Knicks team that's doing it as much as I've yelled about the NBA and the process of difficulty and winning with young talent. The Knicks are winning with young talent. Like, this is fun to watch because you're watching young guys emerge and they're doing it together in a way that just sort of is going to bring everybody and gravitate people to the Knicks as a brand. I do think there's a ton of great from it. But also, let's be real, like the Knicks are the four seed, but there's a a, a moat between where the Knicks are yeah. and teams like the Bucks and the 76ers are. So I'm just saying that, you know, this is good and it's fun, but let's just be a little bit clear-headed. The, the Knicks are good. Not great. They're good. Yeah, I think the, they have a good shot to win a first-round series and probably get bounced in the second, but that's massive growth for this team. And you mentioned there are some young, exciting guys. There's also some veterans that are finding a spot to do work, and there's a great story in Julius Randle, a veteran guy that usually we would think we had the full story on a couple of years into the league, and here he is now making his first all-star team, playing his best basketball, working his way, potentially sneaking into the back end of the MVP conversation. That's remarkable for a guy who's this far into his career who we haven't had that eye on before. 40 points, 11 boards last night. Um, The Knicks are fun. All right, next story. Quickies. It involves the Knicks because everyone's hyping up Tom Thibodeau as a potential coach of the year, and I'm wondering whether you think he's got a sure shot at it over someone like Monty Williams. You look at both guys. Tom Thibodeau shows up takes a team that was 21 and 45 and looked totally lost. That was the butt of jokes. And now four seed in the East certainly look like they're at the beginning of something because they have extra draft picks. They've got young players. They've got cap flexibility moving forward. They can add to what they've already got and continue to succeed. On the other side, you got Monty Williams who shows up on a Suns team that had 19 wins the year before he got there. 34 the next season, now 42 sitting with the second best record in the league. And you know, Suddenly, they become a team that everyone's paying attention to, and he's doing it by being able to manage some of the biggest 
names and veteran presences, guys like Chris Paul, that he comes in and has the authority to know how to use correctly. And this is a tough race for me. Yeah, so for me, it is Tibbs that gets the lean. But I'll tell you that Chris Paul is part of the conversation. Why? Like, we're seeing this great portion of Chris Paul. But realistically, we know Chris Paul can be great. So what they've done is they've taken a young core with some great players in Phoenix, and they've found a greatness out of Chris Paul this year. You bring all that together, it really it, it comes together easily. Monty Williams is making it look easy, I should say, for Phoenix, and I want to give that a lot of respect. But Julius Randle that you were talking about earlier is somebody that it felt like the league had gone very meh on, and now we see this absolute explosion from him. I think it's the explosiveness and unexpected explosiveness of these players in New York that makes Tibbs sort of get the advantage for me. I've seen a lot of Tibbs uh, here in Chicago, and I think Matt Barnes talking about him on the jump expressed what a lot of people are thinking, a lot more smiles and a little bit of a looser guy after his 10 years in Chicago and Minnesota. I think this is kind of Tibbs 2.0. You know, you hear notoriously that he's an old school coach, tough, tough, tough. But I think this day and age, is that old school stuff is kind of out the window. So I think he's been able to, like Ramona said, kind of fine tune his principles, understand what he wants to give. And then he kind of took a step back, which I think is important because you hear, you know, horror stories, you know, so to speak. And, I, and I've never got a chance to play for Tibbs. You know, I, I don't have anything, you know, bad to say about him. But you hear stories. But I think now, more than ever, this is the player's league. And I think he kind of understands that. And he's taken his foot off the gas a little bit and kind of been more of a, okay, guys, what are we doing instead of this is what we are doing. I mentioned this yesterday. He used to live in a hotel not far from the Bulls practice. He would have multiple TVs on so he could watch game tape and games from around the league till all hours of the night. He wears the exact same Adidas Adidas tracksuit every single day so he doesn't have to waste any time picking his outfit. He is a lifer basketball guy, but is maybe figuring out that not running players into the ground is going to be better for him than trying to put some sort of work ethic on them that's not sustainable. And it's it's been a, a tremendous success. Next topic. Quickies. We've got Sixers and Bucks tonight. Man, Joel Embiid had the best missed shot in the history of the game, I think, last night. There was 0.8 seconds left, not even a second left, and he managed to rebound and get the ball up length of the court. It was in before it came out, and it sets up a great matchup tonight. And, you know, we continue to watch the Sixers team and really become, you know, convinced that this could be the year that they suddenly actually play up to the expectations we tend to have for them. At the same time, Sarah, we're watching a Milwaukee team that I would argue is playing currently better than it was playing for a lot of last year. And so when you when you factor that portion of it in, like I think that the playoff conversation has become so dominant for Milwaukee that we refuse to acknowledge anything that they're doing for anymore. Sure. And, we're not you know, impressed anymore. In, <laughs> right, but yet, yeah, absolutely. But Drew Holiday has been a delight. And uh, realistically, this is a, the opportunity for Milwaukee. If you're both of these teams, you've got to be looking at Brooklyn and saying, hey, nobody can get healthy over there. So if we can get these games won, we can show everybody what we can do. I, both of these teams have the East in their hands if Brooklyn can't get healthy. So I 100%. think this is a heck of a matchup. Yeah, and to your point, a, a cynic would call this the do-it-in-the-playoffs matchup. <laughs> Because both of these teams are like, cool, cool. Yeah, this is cool. Yeah, this is what we thought you should do. This is what you should be doing. You got a lot of talent. Do it in the playoffs. Next topic. Quickies. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz doing some NBA quickies to kick off the show tonight. Anthony Davis set to return tonight. We spent a lot of time talking about this last night, so won't get too deep into it, except to say that I think that rest for both AD and LeBron may end up paying off in the end. It's just a matter of making sure that he's coming back at a time where he can't re-injure himself. When you hear that he ripped it and it was a partially torn Achilles, I don't want to put this out in the universe, but my brain immediately goes to Kevin Durant. And I just want him to come back and be healthy and good and not have setbacks before the postseason. 
I agree with everything you just said. I also want to acknowledge, though, the Lakers are 5-5 five and five in their last 10 games, and they're still sitting at the 5 seed. Mm-hmm. And we all thought they were going to implode without AD and LeBron. And, in fact, they've at least treaded water. So, like, I'm not saying that that's been great. It's a little like the next conversation. Like, it hasn't been great, but it's at least been good. And now they're going to get one of the five best players in the NBA back. So, uh, I, I yeah. think this is a big moment for L.A. It feels like this is the moment where you really start to get back into here's how we are going to defend our title. This is what it's going to look like. You know, LeBron James expected back in a couple weeks. And in the meantime, AD's got to get his chemistry back between new addition Andre Drummond and some potential starting lineup changes. Uh, so this is this is a good time to get that work going in earnest with a, with a mind ahead to the postseason. It's Spain and Fist. One last story. Quickies. Steph Curry's streak ended. It had to end sometime. It was a good run. And he talked about 30 points a night finally coming to a close. It was a special ride for sure. And never really get too hyped up on individual streaks or accolades like that. But there were some historical names that, you know, was able to pass. And doing something at, at this age was, was pretty special. It was a great run. It was something that had been done before. And, you know, it was going to end at some point. Now you got to start another one. First player since Kobe to do... 30 points in 10 straight games, the oldest in the league at age 33 to score at least 30 in 11 straight games, and a little ugly on the way out. Two for 14 from beyond the arc last night, seven for 25 from the field, had a measly 18 points, but quite a run for Steph. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. You could save big when you bundle your auto, home, motorcycle, RV, or boat. Visit Progressive.com. Coming up. The player who put himself in a lose-lose situation. More on that next, Spain and Fitz. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. we got a lot of thick topics to get to today. Thick with two Cs, thick with a CK, whatever you want. They're thick today. We're going to try to get to as many. Two Cs is what we're dealing with today. It's Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Don't forget to subscribe to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can get all the show stuff that you miss and sometimes some pre-show and post-show digital-only goodies. Uh, I want to get into a couple different stories right now, uh, sort of disparate, but um, I, I think we want to kind of hit on them and and some some not being discussed as much. The next two after this one, I think, not being discussed enough. But let's start with LeBron, which plenty of people are talking about. And I don't want to get too deep into this because a lot of these conversations are conversations that require some real education into policing, uh, tactics, specifics of uh, the story at hand, larger conversations uh, about you know, use of force and, and use of deadly weapon and everything else. And I don't know that we're fully equipped to have those conversations, Fitz. But what I can say... I know I'm not. Yeah. <laughs> I know that LeBron James' tweet um, that he deleted and then explained um, was one born of anger and frustration and helplessness. It was about Makia Bryant's killing. It was... Um, that was the story we were talking about on the air. As we were dealing with the verdict of the Derek Chauvin trial... Um, We were also getting news of a 16-year-old girl that was shot and killed by Columbus police. And LeBron showed a photo of the Columbus police officer who was on the scene of her shooting with the caption, your next hashtag accountability. Um, Not 100% confirmed that he's the man who fired shots at her, but he deleted it and said it was being used to create more hate, that this isn't about one officer, it's about the entire system. They always use our words to create more racism. I am so desperate for more accountability and, you know, he said that get, getting facts education is better than anger, but, you know, anger is still there. 
I think everything he said was what so many of us are feeling. And LeBron James is expected sometimes because of what a stance he takes on social issues to always know exactly what to say and when to be this great example of, of a social activist and athlete with the platform he has of like 60 plus million followers. And what I would say is he falls into a trap that we all do, but him at this extremely high level. Megan Rapino, Jamel Hill, LeBron, Kamala Harris, you know, major politicians, anyone who has been extremely vocal and very much on one side of, of social issues, people are looking for them to mess up or they're looking for something to be said that they can attach themselves to and criticize to turn the conversation away from what inspired their social media messaging. It's the same as Kaepernick. We don't want to talk about police brutality. We don't want to talk about why you're kneeling. We want to talk about whether you're the right messenger or how you're kneeling or what socks you're wearing or what posts you've put on social media or whether you're talking enough or too much. It's always going to be that way, Fitz. And that's why social media is a flawed place to have conversations about nuanced and difficult topics. But right now, especially when we can't be out in our communities or in our homes, even talking to people, we all feel so pent up. And so helpless of what we're seeing on our screens every day and and in the news every day that that outlet of being able to speak out about things that we think are wrong feels better than doing nothing. And it's not always going to be said perfectly, right? And it's not always going to be done in a way that can't be spun into, as he said, more hate and more criticism for him instead of conversations about police tactics and the things that we need to address. Um, so I just think it's it was an enough. It was a lose lose situation for LeBron, and I think he was wise to address it. But you can't get too caught up in people who are consistently looking for a gotcha moment because they are disingenuous in their discussions from the start. They don't want to talk about the issue and they don't want to make it better. They just want to call out people who disagree with them. So it's Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. The gotcha moment that you just referenced really hits my my head and my heart when we talk about these issues. Because one thing that, that I, I feel like we become in many ways, and the sports fans, everybody, it's, it's easy to argue like kids. When I was a kid, uh, you weren't allowed to have these arguments. Like my mom would jump in if it was ever, well, you let him do this, or will you let, you know, everybody else gets to do that. And, you know, there's this moment of personal accountability that, you know, adults don't discuss things like children. At least that's how I was raised. Uh, to the extent of everything has to be about uh, these other elements. And that's what's happened in so many of the conversations we have on social media. Like there's this expectation for some reason that LeBron's going to be perfect on everything he says or that he's going to align the way people think he should on everything he says. I don't really understand it. Like to me, at some point, if a human being, and that's what LeBron is, wants to use his social media to speak on something he's passionate about, well, then that's his right. That's his, he, he has the ability to do that. And he has a very large platform. Now, the people that listen to him and the people that read his platform, they can take his opinions and then it's still up to all of us as individuals and human beings to do our own research and make our own thoughts out of whatever information we're given from anyone. I don't think LeBron should be expected to speak perfectly on anything other than basketball because that's what he's really, that, that's what, what LeBron does, right? So for the rest of it, it's about can he use his voice the way he wants to use his voice for the impact he thinks can be made. And for some reason, that's been twisted through all of this to be some grand conversation that has to apply to every country and every political debate and every issue that ever pops up. I don't think that's a fair expectation for most people. That's not his job. That If you're a politician, maybe you should be great on all of those things, sure. But if you're a basketball player or a baseball player or a football player, you're using your social media to speak to what you're passionate about. Yeah. That's your right. And it doesn't always have to be perfect. Yeah, I agree with you fully on all of that. You will be held accountable if you make yourself someone who speaks out on a bit issues to be educated and to do your best 
to speak out in ways that are meaningful and helpful. And in this case, he realized what he had posted wasn't being helpful. People were spinning it into more hate. They were they were using him as a catalyst for turning a conversation away from the issue at hand. And so I think he wisely in this case rejected that and said, I'm, I'm removing this. You can't use me for that. And, and let's put the conversation where it should be. Um, but you're right. Like, we can speak about what we're passionate about. We don't need to be expected every single time to have a statement. And we also don't always have to, none of us have to get it right all the time. I'm the right. first to admit that a year ago right now, I would have said the phrase, I don't see color, as a something I thought was an appropriate thing to say is a way of saying, like, it doesn't really matter to me what color you are, where you're from. Like, I, I'm, I'm here for everybody. And then I find out over the course of the last year how hurtful that conversation, that comment can be. So I look at it and I scrub it for my life and I say, okay, I've learned something. Thank you. Like, we right. all go through that process. I just don't know why we right. don't expect it or understand it for LeBron. Right. And I think it's really difficult, too, because the specifics of each individual case need to be considered. And unfortunately, too often now it's about what side am I on and how can I look at what happened and spin it to that side instead of being able to have honest conversations about how each incident is different and it needs to be taken as such while still acknowledging the larger systemic issues at play. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Um, we're running out of time here. We'll get to uh, Robin Lehner later. I, I do want to get into that. I just wanted to mention Alden Smith. I've seen responses to the latest incident where he is alleged to have been involved in, in a battery assault uh, case. And there is video, so perhaps he'll be cleared. But I just want to point out, Fitz, he's a 31-year-old man with a whole life ahead of him. And when we see people as repeat offenders, sometimes we're wont to wag a finger at them and talk about how many chances they've gotten and how they're screwing it up and they have all this potential and they're rich and yada yada. There's probably some real deep-rooted problems for this kind of self-destruction. And I hope there are people around him to address it as a life and a future and not just for football. Yeah, that's the most important part of it. Whether it's the NFL PA, the NFL as a whole, or the people that have been around Alden Smith, he needs help. And that's what we need to start prioritizing at some point is helping people. Yeah, and I think it's easier to just shake your head and say you're throwing things away. People don't do that for no good reason, and I hope he's got the right people around him to figure out why he keeps drawn, being drawn to these things. It's Spain and Fitz. Coming up, we're going to dive into NFL draft evaluations. Great piece from The Athletic today that gets into the nitty-gritty on a bunch of guys that could go very high in the draft. We'll talk to the author next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel Lady, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. All of our guests join us on the Goodyear Hotline as we inch closer to the NFL Draft, which, by the way, you can listen to all three days here on ESPN Radio, Thursday, Friday. Kevin Agandi, L. Duncan will have you covered on ESPN Radio. If you like the digital side, I'll be on the uh, mega casts that are happening on the live streams over there. And then on Saturday, I'll be uh, hosting with a, a slew of experts that will be all over the network for us on Saturday to get you caught up on everything you need to know for the draft. Now, it's difficult, and let's be real, for especially for any of you guys that love the draft but haven't necessarily watched as much college fo- football as those of us that have to work in the sport and watch it all the time. It's difficult to figure out who's there. It's difficult to figure out sort of which prospects stand out and how to make sense of any of it. So I found an article that I absolutely was in love with. So I begged Sarah, we're bringing on the author of him. Bruce Feldman from The Athletic uh, wrote a fantastic deep dive and over the last couple of months has talked talked to two dozen NFL coaches and scouts to get a sense of what they're looking at. Bruce, thanks for the time. Thanks for joining us on the Goodyear Hotline. Uh, let's start with sort of the, the, the bare bones here. When you're talking to the everybody and they're trying to figure out how to make sense of a Zoom world to, to evaluate prospects instead of being able to be in person, what kind of difference has that made? 
Yeah. Well, th- first of all, thanks for the kind words about the story. I appreciate it. Um, it has been a crazy year for evaluations, especially because, you know, you have some players who opted out. You have the other aspect. Let's use Zach Wilson from BYU as an example. Probably a likely number two pick of the whole draft to the Jets. He was a guy who people wonder about his, the competition he played last year, kind of through no fault of, of BYU's own. But in the pandemic, they could not play any power five opponents. And so people and coaches I've talked to, they wonder about that. You know, it's like, those are real concerns where one of the guys I had, I talked to made the point is like, you know what? He's not playing against SEC defensive fronts. He was like, you don't see him in a tight pocket. A lot of times And our league is a tight pocket league. And so like things like that are, are, are a concern. Then you get into just the aspect of, people got a lot less intel on these players. So you do have film, but I just think there was probably a, you know, it's already a pretty murky process to begin with. I think it's even more so this year just because of a variety of factors that came from us being in a pandemic for the past year. Bruce Feldman of The Athletic with us. You know, you've been doing this for years, and I remember reading a story a couple years ago from Bill Barnwell talking about just the flawed science of selecting quarterbacks in the draft and how difficult it is. Is there enough evidence at this point to to give any guidance on anything, whether it's at least there's a higher percentage of successful pro quarterbacks with X arm strength or when you prioritize intelligence over mobility or any of those things? Because you, you speak specifically about someone like the questions about Zach Wilson or about Trey Lance, for instance, right? Is there someone who's got a very high ceiling, but the bat is pretty bad too, a better choice than someone who's more in the middle, but you don't think they're ever going to get as high? Is there any numbers around that stuff? I don't think there really is enough for people to go, you know, because there was a a line I think Bill Parcells used to say about how much somebody had played, right? And you get equivalent to like a pilot with flight hours or something like that, Sarah. But for the most part, Trey Lance is an interesting study. He played basically one full year of college football, and it was at the FCS level, albeit at a, you know, a powerhouse program. It's not like they threw it 45, 50 times a game, not in that offense. Um, and so you know, the coaches I talked to said, this guy probably has the strongest arm in the draft. He's got really good size. He's a good runner. Um, when people meet with him, they say A-plus football intelligence, A-plus character, all the intangibles are there. Now, some of the challenges with him is a little inaccuracy. Uh, he only played one seat, one game this season. It was against Central Arkansas. And he had some moments where there were some balls that people are like, you know, those are passes NFL quarterbacks should complete. Should complete. So you look at it and say, okay, they're going to have to clean up some of his mechanics a little bit to make him a little more efficient, maybe a little more consistent. But everybody I talk to, thinks he can do it it's just going to be a uh you know may take a little while for him just to transition and he's young right so because he hasn't he's basically was a redshirt freshman last year and i think i think people will be willing to bet on him because of his intentions because of his intelligence because of his physical tools but it may take a little while the wild card part of this is and this circle this is going to circle back to probably on the opposite end of the spectrum which is which is Mac Jones, the quarterback at Alabama, who probably of the five quarterbacks who likely are in the first round, has the least arm strength and the least least you know physical stature. But he played in a system where he was really tested NFL wise into what Steve Sarkeesian ran. There was a lot of stuff that translates well. 
very accurate. People really like him. He is the guy who people see as, you know, higher ceiling, maybe uh, higher floor, lower ceiling, right? Mm-hmm. And so the question is, if you have to go eight and eight right away, he probably gives you a better chance than maybe a couple of these other guys. But it's where they fit. I mean, there are people who are really concerned about Zach Wilson going to the Jets, maybe because they're the Jets, and then B because he's he does not going to have a lot of talent around him, and he's in the he's going to be in you know that New York metropolitan media market, and there's a lot of scrutiny that comes with it. And unlike say Patrick Mahomes when he came out of Texas Tech, as great arm talent as he had. People were worried back then about Patrick's, you know, some of his decision-making on the field was a little questionable. And what was different, though, is he went to the Chiefs. He had a great offensive coach in Andy Reid. Also, he had Alex Smith there, so he didn't have to play right away. This is not what the situation is going to be for, likely for Zach Wilson going to the Jets. He's going to have to play probably right away, and he's not going to be surrounded with any of those things. And so... You know, all those factors are going to come into it. And that's why I don't think you can really play the percentages just because the circumstances are so unique each time. We're talking to Bruce Feldman on the, of The Athletic on Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Bruce, you asked a great question about a sixth quarterback being taken in the first round, and it's been pointed out by one of the people you talked to that next year's quarterback class doesn't look great right now. How much does that factor into teams deciding at the end of the first round that they need to take a risk? I think it's a it's a real thing because Sam Howell from North Carolina is pretty intriguing, and then you start getting into people like Keaton Slovis from USC's physical talent, but he has a little bit of injury history. You look at Lane Kiffin's quarterback at Ole Miss. There's a quarterback at Liberty, um, Malik Willis, who people are kind of intrigued by. But in past years, you know, going into this year, you knew Trevor was probably coming out. You knew Justin Fields was likely to come out, and people already were buzzing a little bit about Trey Lance. So there were guys in there. And now if you really are targeting, hey, we need a young quarterback, do you do you then pull the trigger and say, hey, we're going to move up to try to grab Kellen Mond from Texas A&M, who's played a lot, and there's some stuff that's intriguing? Do you make the jump for, is Kyle Trask from Florida that guy? I think that's the part that's really tricky for them is because the quarterback position is so, you know, it's so pivotal for these franchises' future. But you better be sold on that guy if you're going to move up for him because it does seem like every year there will be a guy. This year it was Zach Wilson, came out of nowhere, probably going to be a top-five pick. Last year it was Joe Burrow. Nobody was buzzing about Joe Burrow, and then he was the first pick in the draft. I mean, there are those guys who seem to emerge, but there's not a – like I said, there were other guys who were going to be in this group that you knew were probably coming out. At this point, I don't know if people look at – uh, across the board, look at Sam Howell and go, oh, I think he can be a top five pick. Maybe there's some who believe that, but I think right now that's why it's like a little bit a nervous, a little bit of nervous feeling about this stuff. Bruce Feldman of The Athletic is with us here on Spain and Fitch. You can find his story on theathletic.com, NFL Draft Confidential. We only have a minute left, but I wanted to ask you quickly. You did talk to two dozen coaches and scouts. Who's the one player that after talking to those guys, you flipped your opinion or you you learned enough to say, wow, I had no idea that that's how they were viewing this kid? You know, there's a guy from Tennessee named Josh Palmer, who when he was in high school, he was the fourth best receiver on his team. But he and when he was at Tennessee, they did not have very good quarterback play. And it was all kinds of, you know, just tumultuous stuff going on around the program. But 
every receiver coach I talked to started raving about him. The first guy was like, I think hoping he would like, maybe he'll fall to us in the third round. And then all of a sudden I talked to another guy the next day and another guy the day after that, they all really think he's, he's just got really good film. He's got pretty good size. And one of them said, you know what? He's the guy that the receivers coaches probably like a lot more than the scouts do. And he's one that was very intriguing to me when I started hearing more about his story that honestly, I, you know, knew who he was, but I didn't know anything until really in depth about this guy until that point. You guys can check out the uh, article on the Athletic NFL Draft Confidential. It's one of those articles you should just pull up on your phone during the draft because you're going to get a lot of insight on guys you may not know as much about. Bruce, great work, man. We really appreciate you joining us. Thanks for the expertise and insight. My pleasure. Thanks for the kind words, guys. Bruce Feldman from The Athletic. Uh, We're brought to you by Goodyear, helping you discover the road ahead. Goodyear, more driven. My God, I'm giddy for the draft. It is just, it's it's alarming how much my favorite team breaks my heart every year and how much I still get into it every single year. I've got a problem. Uh, All right, coming up, (laughs) the, the Olympics are in a bit of a pickle. There's a situation brewing there that could make everything interesting this summer. Plus, we've got a question to ask you on social media. We'll do all that next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. It's always fun when those involve Sarah screwing something up because usually I'm the bumbling idiot on the show. So uh, take pride in that. Uh, We're also on the ESPN app, Sirius XM channel 80. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Sarah, the Olympics are coming this summer, and that feels weird to say because we've been saying it for over a year. But trust me, guys, it's really going to happen, we think. And, And at this point... It looks like the Olympics have found themselves in a bit of a situation. And this isn't something I, I think that is completely unpredictable, but it is something that we need to have some understanding uh, going in with because it has now been reported that athletes who make political or social justice statements at the protests, I should say, at the Tokyo Olympics have been promised legal support by a global union and an activist group in Germany. The pledge comes a day after the International Olympic Committee confirmed that they are going to stick with their long-standing ban on, this is the quote, demonstration or political, religious, or racial propaganda on a field of play, medal podiums, or official ceremonies. And, you know, this is one of those things, before anybody rolls their eyes, yells at the radio, figures out that they have their mind made up on this, I would challenge everybody to think for a second, because there is not a, a clear-cut answer to the best way to handle this, Sarah. Yeah, my initial reaction is this is dumb, right? Know your history, know the world, know what many people see the Olympics as standing for in terms of cultures coming together, competition at the highest level, demonstrating a true global coming together. But as I was thinking about it, I thought about the opposite of what we might expect. They are allowing using words like peace, respect, solidarity, inclusion, and equality on T-shirts. But slogans like Black Lives Matter will not be allowed on athlete apparel. So those specifics are frustrating if you personally align with certain ideas and groups. What I always tend to do is to think about the opposite side. And I've been frantically trying to Google, and I cannot remember the country But there was, I believe, an Olympic athlete, a woman sent home shortly before the last Summer Olympics because she spoke out in incredibly offensive ways about a political issue in her own country. And she was removed from the proceedings. That's the other option here that we often don't consider is what if that social statement or political statement is anti anti racist? What if it's a swastika? What if it's white supremacy, right? And so trying to make, and and listen, I don't want to be somebody who tries to say 
that those issues are two sides of the same coin. There is no other coin to not being racist, right? There is no defense of bigotry in any form. It's not the same or the opposite of anti-bigotry, right? So I'm not trying to compare the two and make them equal, but what I'm saying is there's probably a very fine line and gray area between the things that many people, most people even, might consider proper and reasonable things to stand for during the Olympics or kneel for or protest over, and who decides that and how do they regulate that in what can be a written policy. Especially for a global event, Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, I think when you start thinking about the the different cultures that are all coming together and the way that communication is often received, you know, it, it is such a fine line in different cultures to even how you speak that can offend somebody unintentionally, right? So the International Olympic Committee has a bit of a tough situation on their hands because you can't just come in and say, okay, well, this is where, you know, the hearts of America is right now. And this is where American athletes want to be able to use their platform without then talking to everybody else. And then everybody else starts to want to use their platform for what they think is important. And before you know it, you're sort of chasing your tail on all these things and you don't know what Pandora's box you've opened. Uh, the the uh, IOC has said uh, flat out through this process that Anybody that chooses to use the, the, the platform the way that Tommy Smith did, for example, or raise a hand uh, during a medal ceremony could be sent home. But part of what they're doing in their process is trying to protect, like rules are made to protect the worst case scenarios, right? So at what point do you open the door and how do you close the door? So I think for the Olympic Committee particularly, they're in a situation where changing the rules would actually be so difficult and they'd have to listen to so many different countries across the world I don't know how you do that. So to stand pat, even though initially my reaction was to roll my eyes after thinking about it, it makes a lot of sense. I will say this, and it's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz on ESPN Radio. I do think that you need to understand whether you're punishing or removing athletes for beliefs that exemplify the goals of the Olympic Games. Right? Collaborate Mm. to understand what the intended expressions are. And if you're speaking out and defending issues that are in alignment with what the principles of the games are, then that should not be something that is criticized or punished. And again, that takes some real work together. It's not a simple, here's our policy, deal with it. But the ability to express themselves on the highest of stages, which for many of them, a lifetime of work will culminate with this. And they want to be able to speak to something larger than whatever sport they play or whatever work they've done. And we understand the effects of Tommy Smith and John Carlos. And so to ignore the history of the Olympics and the statements that have been made in the past and to reject the desires of current athletes to to place their own selves in history in that way as a flat-out rule doesn't feel right to me. I think it just becomes a very complicated sense of how do you then do it in the right way. The complication also is, you know, sort of doubled down on when you think about dealing with this complication and the communication that it would require while also dealing with an Olympics that's a year later than expected because of COVID. And they're still trying to figure out exactly how they're going to manage 
that entire uh, issue as well. So it feels like it's just one thing stacked on top of the other. You're right. Like the intent should matter and the ability to communicate intent from athletes to the Olympic committee should be something that, that exists. There should be something in place that allows that to happen. I just don't know how they, they make all of those things come together in time for an Olympics that they're still reeling from last year, trying to figure out how to get done this year. Yeah, it's, um, Again, like you said, as a global event, too, there are plenty of things that go on around the world that absolutely are abhorrent in light of how we view things in our country and the stances that we take. Um, what if someone wants to make a stance about what goes on in another country and how you're standing on the podium next to someone, right, while deriding their country and what they stand for? That's complicated. And I don't envy the people making these decisions, but it does feel like a flat-out ban and threat of punishment over statements of equality and everything else, um, over anti-racism, that kind of stuff, is just not going to read well, regardless of whether the intent is to protect uh, from, from the opposite. Uh, real quick, by the way, uh, I was really impressed last night with everybody's casting of the coaches in the AFC North. We didn't spend that much time on it. I wanted to spend more. But uh, we have an opportunity tonight to continue this fun little thing we're doing with the AFC West. So we're going to put it up at Sarah Spain, at Spain and Fitz, at Jason Fitz, and have you guys cast the coaches of the AFC West. Uh, I think we're going to get some good ones for this. Yeah, definitely. Get more creative than just giving me Chucky for John Gruden. Like, right. I, you know, let's get a little bit creative here. Also, people. good like, luck it, if you it, know who the coach of the Chargers is. Ask yourself yeah. right now. Say the name in your head. Don't Google it. Uh, see if you know. Yeah, it's it's tricky. Let me let me let me just say that straight <laughs> out of the gate. Uh, but get him uh, to us. We're going to put that out on social, and you can tweet us at Spain and Fitz. Great way to do that. All right, coming up, Tom Brady is super mad about the most random rule change. But there are several <laughs> rule changes coming to the NFL. We'll tell you about him and discuss it next on ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Look, I love a good chip on your shoulder. And I love a good Tom Brady story. But of all the things that could possibly make Tom Brady mad for this coming season, apparently, new numbers on Jersey. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, all of our guests join us on the Goodyear Hotline. All kidding aside, Sarah, many rule changes have come through for the NFL, including, uh, not limited to, one where they're going to open up numbers to let other people, uh, other positions wear numbers they don't traditionally wear. Tom Brady's mad about it. I, I just, uh, you know, of all the things to get him fired up for the season, he's going to repeat now as a Super Bowl champion because somebody decided a linebacker can wear number six. This is our, this is our reality. I just, Sarah, I want you to know this. <laughs> I am very concerned about it, and I'm, I'm excited you started with that because I want I have so many things to ask Kevin Seifert about in his story about the NFL's rules, but that is the one I'm most confused about. Tom Brady said, dumb. Why not let the linemen wear whatever they want to? Why have numbers? Just have colored jerseys. Why not wear the same number? Dumb. So, Kevin, this is the goat we're talking about. What are we missing here? Why does he think this is going to make for bad football? Well, I mean, I... I... I, I, first of all, I have to say that of all the rules that they came up with this year, uh, this is not the one that I thought would be the uh, the lead right. story. But clearly, <laughs> it is uh, because he has protested. I, you know, I think there's some occasions where where teams um, in their schemes, where they're identifying who to pass block or they're identifying who might be covering, sometimes use numbers, I guess, to uh, to to give them a little bit of a of a read, and so. 
uh, if there's a number that they're used to seeing a, a DB wearing and, and, and he's wearing some, an, another uh, positions number, maybe that can, in the very short term, uh, cause some confusion and maybe have some pass rushers getting in free or maybe having somebody uh, cover that you weren't expecting to cover. But it really does feel like it was, it's a short-term adjustment and that uh, Tom and, and everybody else will eventually make that adjustment and, and life will go on. Now, we're talking to ESPN NFL writer Kevin Seifert. Kevin, you said that that wasn't the rule you thought would be the lead story. What rule did you think would really be the one that we all got, uh, grabbed onto? I, I, I thought it would be the, uh, this thing with the, with the sky judge and, or lack of a you sky judge. You are correct. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, and, I mean, I think officiating is, is a controversial topic for the NFL every year, and everyone wants – the same result, I think, which is to get the most, the max, to maximize the the, the accurate calls and, and minimize the the uh, the inaccurate calls. And I think there's been a lot of people who feel like a sky judge, you know, a full time official in the in the booth, watching uh, uh, the broadcast and using all the technology the NFL has to do quick replays on their own, would uh, would be the way to go and, and allow that person to to, to call uh, penalties and. And you know, potentially even uh, overrule uh, the people on the field if that if that uh, if it came to be. But uh, the NFL is just not ready to go there yet. And so what they decided was a very modest um, uh, adjustment that allows somebody who's already there, which is the replay official that sits in the booth and usually just helps talk the referee through what he he's seeing on the on the replay when there's a review. Um, uh, it's going to allow that person to watch the game, watch the game on on the broadcast, uh, re- rewind, toggle when necessary, and then in a in a given window, be able to tell the referee, "Hey, I think you missed something. Uh, hey, I think the ball hit the ground. Hey, I, I think it was actually he was actually out of bounds. There was only one foot down." And so, on those type of a very limited menu uh, of, of plays, he can offer that advice. The referee can ignore him, and and we can still see a lot of uh, the same mistakes that we've seen. So I don't know that this is going to be a really impactful move. And I think the people who wanted to see, including a lot of the coaches who wanted to see something that was more impactful are probably disappointed. Um, but that seemed like the mo- arguably the most significant rule that came out of this. Kevin Seifert with us here on Spain and Fitz on the Goodyear hotline. You can read his story about the rule changes in the NFL on .com right now. That is the one that I've got something in my bonnet about because it does feel like they keep dancing around it instead of addressing it. And I've never heard a reasonable explanation as to why there would be fears about the sky judge. Rich McKay, the chairman of the NFL competition committee was the most vocal in giving any sort of reasoning. He's also of course, Atlanta Falcons president. He said, once you open that box of subjective calls, I think you're just really changing the game. What this does, it's objective. I do get nervous when it goes beyond that. He also said about the technology, we have the technology. We have really good technology. It sits in the booth with the replay official, and it sits in New York. I think what we thought and what the coaches subcommittee thought was let's use that technology and let's try to improve the crew. I do get nervous when it goes beyond that. Okay, you're telling us the technology is good. You're somehow arbitrarily saying that some calls are objective on the field, but subjective when they're in the replay room. None of this seems to me like a reasonable explanation for what they're so afraid of. Is it the rogue Tim Donaghy's up and he's the sky judge and he's got something cooking the books? Is that the fear? What are they so worried about? I think they're still stung by how uh, the pass interference uh, experiment went in replay. And I think what he means on objective versus subjective is that 
uh, objective are things like, was the foot, did he have two feet down? Did the ball hit the ground? Was it a catch or was it not a catch? Those are sort of objective facts that can be seen on video or not seen. The subjective, you know, goes into the things that, that we saw with the pass interference. You know, was there a material uh, restriction? Did did the, that offensive lineman uh, hold? You know, was there, uh, uh, you know, illegal contact? Uh, the, the types of things that require a judgment call on the course, um, or at least are supposed to require a judgment call uh, by officials, and are the types of plays where really you could call on every play. And so somebody has to have a standard of, of what uh, is, you know, a penalty under those classifications and what isn't. And so that's, in his mind, I think he, you're just adding another person's judgment to the group as opposed to somebody with, uh, you know, an objective an ability to objectively see the play better because it's on, on replay than the, the, the officials on the field. We're talking to ESPN NFL writer Kevin Seifert on Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. So, Kevin, uh, with all this officiating conversation, one thing I did love in the XFL is that the replay official was mic'd up, so we got to hear their process of what they saw and how they did it. And at the time, a lot of people were looking at the XFL saying, hey, some of these rules will be tried by the NFL at some point, it doesn't look like any of it transferred over. Do you get a sense or do you have a sense of if there was consideration from some of what they saw in the XFL? You know, I know they liked a couple of things, especially the, the kickoff that the XFL came up with, which um, it was kind of weird and funky looking. But basically what it led to was a return on every kickoff. Um, and that's what the NFL is sorely missing right now. Is, you know, Most of these kickoffs are on, uh, end up being touchbacks and, you occasionally have a return, but you know those are few and far between. And so, I thought that the NFL would would look at that and and, and think, well, that there are ways to, you know, sort of abide by the safety uh, precautions that you need to on a kickoff to avoid those high, you know, speed collisions, but also game it out in a way that it's just not going to go out of the end zone every time. And so, I thought they might look into that, but that doesn't appear to be a priority for them right now. They had a little bit of a uh, focus on the onside kick and the um, and the ability, the fact that you basically can't recover an onside kick anymore. But nothing on the larger sense of, of finding a way to get uh, more kickoff returns back into the game. You guys can follow him on Twitter at Seifert ESPN. Check out the article out there on ESPN telling you everything you need to know about the rule changes, especially the number change. I mean, it's a big deal. Just ask Tom Brady. Kevin, we appreciate <laughs> your time and your expertise. Thanks for joining us, my friend. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, Sarah, I, I I mean, we can joke about the, the numbers. I don't think that's going to be a big deal. I'm not sure any of these rules are going to be a big deal, but I think that's one of the disappointing things that came out of the rule changes. They have a right. whole committee that sits down there and analyzes every possibility. The committee makes recommendations. They vote on the recommendations, and it feels like every year – they just sort of come in with meh changes that may or may not stick and may or may not last. I do respect that Tom Brady is the GOAT, and he would know better than I would if this is going to be a frustration. But like Seifert said, hopefully it's something he just gets used to. All right, coming up next, bite me. Yeah, that's some of the best sounds you need to hear, including our old friend Dave Gettleman. That's coming up next, Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. <laughs> not any less embarrassing the second time. We are still got the stank. old and white. Still, got still the stank. stanky. Still stanky. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We're presented by Progressive Insurance.
And ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Progressive's Home Quote Explorer is changing the way you buy home insurance. Now you can go online, get a custom quote, and save both time and money. Learn more at Progressive.com. We had a handful of coaches and GMs and folks speaking out today that we wanted to laugh with, laugh with, or just address, depending on the guy. And we got to start with friend of the show. And by friend of the show, I don't mean someone we've ever spoken to or engaged with, but someone who keeps bringing it back over and over, had one of the greatest lines that we've always enjoyed, Will Building. And he's going to kick off what we're calling Bite Me. Now, let me warn you, we used to have a really cool produced opening for Bite Me, and we haven't used it in a while, and we couldn't find it, so we just randomly searched that, and here's what we found. Bite me, hey. Yep, no idea what that is. Let's hear it again. Bite me, hey. No context at all, and we're just going to go with that. So let's start with our boy, Dave Gettleman, the Giants GM, who's always building. And he's saying that it's an urban myth that he's unwilling, despite never once having done so in eight years as a GM, to trade down in the NFL draft. I've tried in the past. I, I, <laughs> honestly, honest, I've tried to trade back, but it, it's going to be value. I'm not getting fleeced. I, I refuse to do it. And if, you know, somebody wants to make a bad trade back, God bless them. And, but, you know, we've had opportunities. I've tried, you know, and there, you have to understand the other piece of this, Dan, is sometimes you have a trade and the guy that the team is trading up for gets picked in front of you. I've had, we've had that happen to us. We got a trade. We got a trade and the, and the so and so selects no trade, Dave. Goodbye. And they hang the phone up on me. So that happens too. I mean, it's really, it's it's like, it's almost becoming urban myth. I, I, I've tried. I really have. <laughs> We're building. Oh, I just love listening to him talk. Fitz, what are your thoughts? The way he says I've tried, I mean, it does take two to tango. Like, we do have to admit that. But <laughs> yes. then he also says, you know, we've tried, we've tried. And it's like, uh, okay, what do, what's your perceived self-worth in these attempts? Like, are you asking for seven mansions, 47 draft picks, <laughs> and three Hall of Famers to trade down? Like, are you really trying? I'm just saying. I I want to point out, if you can find the video He's wearing a sweater vest that's reminiscent of the top half of, like, a young woman who might offer you a, 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 a peppermint schnapps shot at a ski resort in Zurich post-trip down the slopes. I don't know if those people exist, but that's what I imagine when I look at the sweater vest he's wearing in this particular clip. Uh, Jordan Renan wrote a story about this and had some interesting context to this, including that NFL Network draft analyst Daniel Jeremiah said earlier this week, we'll see a right turn in a NASCAR race before we see Dave Gettleman trade back. So, I mean, it is an (laughs) urban myth at this point, Uh, but it's a streak. And Renan points out the Browns have made five trades back in the first round alone since 2013. Uh, Meanwhile, Gettleman has yet to. So uh, he may be right, though. He says you can only get judged on the results, not the almost, not the attempts, not the near ones where someone you know gets picked before the trade happens. But it is an interesting streak to address, and any time we can listen to him talk, we will. Moving on. Let's hear that uh, bite me again. Do we still have that? Bite me, hey. I don't know anything. I really about the want the, I, I, I want, want sexy know voice guy from. to do exactly that. Like I just want <laughs> to hear sexy voice guy replicate that. It's faded fits. Bite me with a Y, <laughs> as in sound bite, uh, is what we're doing right now. Nick Sirianni, he's the new coach of the Eagles, in case you didn't know that, in case you forgot his tremendous introductory presser, which was 
very cringy and a little nervous. Well, here he is talking about one of the ways that he can assess whether potential draft picks are competitive. I played a couple of them at rock, paper, scissors, right? That was as easy as that. Rock, paper, scissors. Let's see how competitive you are. I'm competitive. I'm going to be talking trash to him. Did you talk trash back to me? Right? (laughs) Jeopardy. There's different ways to do it. It looks a lot of different ways. Anything you compete at, when you compete with somebody that's competitive, they're going to go at you no matter what, no matter what game you're playing. So fits. I mean, I agree. Uh, Who cares about the 40 time or the game tape? It's as simple as that. Rock, paper, scissors, right? I mean, is that what you like? Is that how your Zoom goes when you're trying to talk to different athletes about whether or not you're going to draft them? You're like, hey, 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 come here. Uh, like, like, get in front of your camera. Let's count this. Let's go right now. I mean, is that is that the new factor for it? This is maddening coach speak if I've ever heard it. I would check somebody <laughs> out that, that judged my competitiveness that way. Yeah, I mean, it's silly. It's nothing to worry about. I want to see him coach. This isn't the thing that's going to help me decide whether he's a good coach. It's just pretty random to say that you're gauging competitiveness based on whether someone is mad about winning or losing rock, paper, scissors, partly because it's an exercise in chance, certainly. And today on Highly Questionable, Mina Kimes did try to assert that there is a strategy to rock, paper, scissors, but there isn't. I am really mad when I lose stuff, when I work hard, I try hard, it in, it's, involves my brain or physical or whatever. Rock, paper, scissors is a game of chance. Or it, it, it's a totally different game than rock, paper, scissors if you talk to one of the hosts of the show right before us. He gave so much insight, not on paper, scissors, rock, because we all know that that was a bad time. But <laughs> How many of the people in this room think it's okay to call it paper, scissors, rock? Like, are we just going to let that slide? <laughs> Oh, Janae, what? Paper, scissors, rock? What game is that? I feel I feel human, though, finally in this moment. Like, I have a little bit of hope because Janae's absolutely perfect at everything she does, and she's like the singing. biggest rock star in the world. And now we know that she can't sing. She's the biggest And she paper has star. no concept of what this game is called. And watching her play it was almost as bad as listening to her talk about it. So I really feel like we found a weakness. Like, this is her kryptonite. If she was a superhero, we found the one way that Janae Ogumike can be defeated. Okay, we already have discovered that way, and it's asking her to sing. That's well, a karaoke contest, and yeah. Also, you said she was a rock star. She's a paper star. It's paper, scissors, rock. It's uh, a paper yeah. star. Yeah. It's Bane and Fitz. Let's hear the bite me again. Why the hey? This segment a lot more because I just want to keep playing that, and I want to know what it's from. If any, I mean, obviously, if you know what that's from, if you've heard that before, if you know any idea why it would be in our in our system, let me know, please. I just want like the process of it made you decide you wanted to put the hey. Yeah, it's very strange. Very very, strange. Uh, I have a lot of questions about that. I have a lot of questions Mm -hmm. also about the new head coach of Portland State, Jace Coburn. Jace said this in his introductory speech. I don't breakfast in the morning so I can come to work hungry. So when I get to lunch, I'm hungry. And that's just the kind of person I am. I know my 2003 Chevy Tahoe's got a lot of play this week so far, but like, it doesn't have AC and it doesn't have heat. And the reason I do that is so I can practice my mental toughness during the winter when it's cold Mm -hmm. and I can practice my mental toughness during the, the summer when it's hot. That's the type of person I am. First, the first thing I think of is, I drive a Dodge Stratus, right? Oh, my God, Like, that sketch immediately comes to mind. But also, he's sort of like, I'm going to get hypothermia, die of overheating, have a low blood sugar, and pass out from not eating to prove to you that I'm good at coaching basketball. Like, none of it makes sense. 
Also, last time I checked from a quick Google search, 2003 Chevy Tahoes were sold with air conditioning and heat. Did that mean that he used to he have it, it and it went yeah. out? No, and he, he removed didn't get it. it. Okay. Okay. No. He removed it. He removed it. Okay. it to prove to you that he is dedicated. My God. Also, I, this is very funny to me, but I also worry about the mindset of someone who can twist this logic into a positive thing because I wonder what your coaching tactics might be. And if they're antiquated and old school and possibly offensive, I could see this spinning away into that. Coming up, Jason's quest for love begins. Ooh la la. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Known for a long time around these parts that Jason Fitz is uh, somebody who waffles in his baseball support. One day he's into one team, one day he's into another. Sometimes he seems like he's not into any. We've decided we needed to finally make him commit. He needs to choose a pro baseball team, and we're going to do it the only way we know how, just to copy the way that I found a college football team, bachelor style. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, <laughs> Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. And let's just make this straight talk, brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless, because no one's going to give you the straight talk about baseball and falling in love Better than the guy on the Goodyear hotline, ESPN MLB insider Tim Kirkshin, a true lifer if I've ever seen one. Tim, thanks for the time. My pleasure, Sarah. My pleasure, Jason. What's up? Well, I look forward to you first proving your bona fides by explaining to us how you fell in love with baseball and why you're so in love with it. And you're also going to help us figure out the parameters by which Fitz is going to choose a team to fall in love with. But first, we need to introduce... The exciting, the new, the freshly made, the very sexy introduction to Major League Bachelor. Tonight, the journey for love begins. I've been alone for way too long. I'm ready to fall in love. One man, 30 eligible competitors. Sarah convinced me that it was time to make a commitment. Not going to lie, I have mixed emotions. Who will capture Fitz's heart and win the final rose? Hi, my name is Jason Fitz, and I'm the Major League Bachelor. This is Major League Bachelor on Spain and Fitz. Ah, it's beautiful. The fact that they used air supply in that and I having a love air supply <laughs> only fits this thing even I'm more. I'm all Stash out well of love. love. Oh, is that air so supply? Good. I can't. Yeah, that's um, air supply. Tim, let's start with your bona fides. We called you for a reason. I don't know if anybody loves baseball as much as you do. You do stuff like losing a scoop on a story and driving out and screaming into the woods. Uh, I believe you had a whole shelving unit collapse under the weight of your collected box scores. Uh, do you have any other tales you could tell us about your obsession with the game of baseball? Um, well, I, I've done a lot of stupid things uh, with my <laughs> love of baseball. I mean, I just I cut out every box score for 20 consecutive years. Um, I never missed a day. I woke up at 11.45 one night. And my wife watched me leave the bedroom because I, in horror, realized I forgot to do my box score book that day. So I got up at quarter to 12, cut all the box scores out, taped them in a book like a fifth grader in social studies class. And when I got back to bed, my wife looked at me like, how could I have married such an unfathomable geek? So that that's what I did for 20 years. I determined with all the time it took that it cost me, I think, 35 years off of my life uh, cutting out my boxes. 
All right, Tim, one of the reasons I love talking to you is because you love the game so much, right? Like, I, I find that just hanging out with you makes me love baseball more. So if if you were going to give me advice, like, on what to look for, if I'm – I mean, I'm a clean slate here. No, nothing's off the table. Nothing's on the table. I'm going to pick a team over the course of this summer. What should I be looking for? You're going to pick a team to be a fan of? Is that what you're saying? A mega fan. Like, I'm going to go all in and be a mega fan of a team. All right. Well, you need to pick pick the the Rays. The Rays are really good. Wait, you don't have to pick the team, Tim. You don't have to tell oh, him which team. I mean, he is making we my want, life. I mean, he's making Well, my I mean, that's too simple. This needs to be a drawn-out <laughs> affair. He needs to be talked to by many and convinced. What we need you to do is tell tell him, uh, uh, essentially a baseball moron, a, a pure and, and, and undulterated idiot, what parts of baseball he needs to consider when making this selection. Is it fan base? Is it the food at the ballpark? Is it their history? What should he be thinking about? Well, you should think about all of those things. The food at the ballpark, the brats in Milwaukee are with the secret sauce are mm. just the best ballpark food that I've ever eaten. And I always eat in the press box, but that's pretty darn good there. The history is really important. The Yankees uh, are a pretty good team to follow. <laughs> they hold just about every record there is. Um, there's so many different ways to go. I mean, you want a dome stadium so your games never get rained out. Um, do you want, like, really fun guys on the team to follow? you want to just watch guys like Ronald Cunha Jr. play who just will dazzle you every single night? I mean, there's so many elements here. Um, we could be here all night trying to find a team for you. What's the, like, the most magical way to watch a baseball game to you? Is it like a midday game, a night game, a weekend game? Like if you, if you had to go, if you're me and I'm walking into a, a ballpark and I really want to get the feel for it, how do I get the most magic? Well, you have to get as close to the field as you possibly can because, all kidding aside, uh, the, the, what separates baseball is the speed of the game. And if you sit at those seats at Fenway Park – you're as close to home plate as you can possibly get. And you might get an idea of the incomprehensible rate of speed that the ball travels from the pitcher to the catcher. And then you might also see a ball hit past the third baseman or first baseman at a rate of speed that you can't even comprehend. The speed of the ball separates everything. And the average fan like you, and you're actually below average, I guess, from what you're saying, that's the separator. That's the separator is when you recognize how fast the ball moves, then you will have so much more respect for the game. There are people out there, normal fans, who actually think they could get a hit in a major league game. I'm here to tell you, if you're an average fan, you got got 100 at-bats against any major league pitcher. Not only would you never get a hit, you would never make contact. You would never put a ball in play because the pitcher would buzz the tower on the first pitch and then you would be too terrified to spend another <laughs> second in the batter's box. If you stand oh. even at third base with any big hitter up there, we'll just say Vlad Guerrero Jr., because when his dad used to whistle that ball past the third baseman's ear, that is the most terrifying thing other than facing, you know, 98 miles an hour near your head. 
So that that's where you need to appreciate baseball. Get as close to the to the action as you can to appreciate how fast the game is. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. It's Major League Bachelor, Jason Fitz, on a quest for love by finally committing to a baseball team. Kirkjian, he has eliminated two. He has gotten rid of my Chicago Cubs because we decided it would be too boring if he just bandwagoned onto my squad. We need to get in fights. We need to not agree about things. So he's eliminated the Cubs, and he's eliminated the A's because as a Raiders fan, he used to root against them because he wanted that darn baseball diamond off his football field. So, Tim Kirchin, you're the expert on these things. Is there anything based on Fitz's one and only true love, and I'm including his wife in this, who he definitely cares about but does not love as much as the Raiders? Does his love of the Raiders give you any hints as to teams he might like in the baseball world? Um, well, I guess you have to be kind of a swashbuckling team. Are the Raiders still a <laughs> bunch of swashbucklers like when I grew up watching Gerald LaMonica play and all those guys? Uh, I mean, they I try, say, They try. Like they're mediocre swashbucklers. Like they're theme park pirates now, basically. Like they're not really intimidating pirates, but they sort of try. Okay, well then I would take the Padres because the Padres a are really good, and they're really fun to watch, and they're not afraid to flip a bat, uh, led by their shortstop, who's you know Tatis Jr., who is a remarkable player. So I would have to put the the Padres near the top of that list like the Raiders because um, they're not afraid to take it to you. They're not afraid to have a little fun with you. And I don't think they're afraid of anything, even the Dodgers who are that good. Tim, I'll ask you one more serious question here. Okay. Like I have roots basically in two cities, Nashville and Vegas. All right. Neither of them has a major league team. Both have minor league teams. Should I let the minor league system play into how I make a decision? Because, you know, I, I, those are my two hometowns. Um, yeah, minor league systems are great. Um, I'm not sure what you would do with that, and I'm hoping someday, since my son lives in Vegas, that Vegas gets a major league team, which would really be cool. That would give me another reason to go visit my son. I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon at all. Boy, would the ball travel if we played a season in Vegas. I covered some minor league games there, some all-star games at Cashman Field. And, man, that was uh, – you get the ball in the air there and it's going out. So, yeah, I would say Vegas has uh, hope for a major league team and that would be your – that would automatically become your favorite team. Oh, look at that, Sarah. Look at that. Now we're just delaying this process. Yeah, he no, he no. really can't commit. He's like, let me just wait even longer and this see summer. if we can nope. add another team to the mix. Jeez, I'm going to go. I'm going to go as in on a team this summer as I have been on the Raiders for my lifetime. I'm adding a second passion. It's going to be one team. We're going to decide on it on this show. And then you might switch over to Vegas, which is fine. Uh, <laughs> Tim, we can't think of anyone better to ask about the love of baseball. Thank you for your time. Thanks, Tim. Always appreciate well, you. <laughs> thank you. Good. Good luck, Fitz. Yeah, he's going to need it. ESPN MLB insider, the best, Tim Kirkson. As we kick off Major League Bachelor, we are going to be asking our listeners to suggest representatives for their teams. We're going to whittle down some of the ways we just talked to Tim, uh, some of the parameters, the history of the team, the ballpark food. Are there young stars that you know will be around for a while? You want a domed ballpark, a covered ballpark, the timing of the games, the stadium Is it somewhere that you want to visit? So all of that will come into play, and eventually we'll be asking you for representatives of some of the squads that he's selected, and uh, then we get into the good stuff, really trying to uh, appeal to to Fitz's 
uh, loves and desires, which are mostly encased meats and uh, alcohol. This was Straight Talk, brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. No contracts, no compromise. Coming up, you guys have casted some coaches, and one coach has gotten a remarkable number of cartoon representatives. We'll get into it next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM channel. Lady Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We will continue throughout the course of the summer to have some fun uh, with this Major League Baseball bachelor, by the way, as uh, I will find a favorite team. That, uh, Sarah, I, I will give my word that I will find a favorite team that I'm mm-hmm. going to go all in on. So I'll believe it uh, when I see it. You know, I'm when gonna, you put I'm, a ring I'm, on it, I've got some. I've got some quiet favorites in the back of my mind, but I don't want to say anything. I don't want to say anything yet. You know, I want to give it all a chance uh, to to sort of percolate and come out. We'll see how it uh, develops, and you know, somebody will get a rose. I, I, I'm not sure who yet, but we'll let uh, we'll let different people chime in along the way. In the meantime, there is a, a serious story sort of brewing out of the NHL world, and. Uh, you and I, obviously, both uh, hockey fans. This one uh, hits to one of the cities I just mentioned. Vegas Golden Knights in- involved in this as their goaltender, Robin Lerna, has said that NHL players were lied to by the NHL and the NHLPA about loosening restrictions after receiving the COVID-19 vaccine. So they said, he says, that he was told they're surveying all the teams to see who has taken the vaccine and who is not taking the vaccines, and they're not going to change the rules for us as players until all the players have the vaccine at the same time so it's not a competitive age. edge. The league is saying they have not said any of that. And this is a really strange misunderstanding to me. Like at this point, COVID is such a priority for every player and for every league. I can't imagine how this type of misunderstanding grows to this level. Yeah, I agree. And I see both sides of this, right? If you're Robin Leonard and you're someone who has been diagnosed with bipolar, who has also ADD, who understands more acutely than most the mental health issues that come along with the kind of isolation, lack of social uh, behavior, um, stress, long-term stress and fear associated with COVID, you want a a light at the end of the tunnel and you want the idea of vaccinations to give you the promise that if enough of your teammates get it, you will get to have less protocols and you'll have more opportunities to just do stuff like have meals together inside. Right now, I talked to Emily Kaplan today. One of the few things they can do is go for walks outside. And, and honestly, that's what most of us have been, been doing for the last year plus is outdoor dining or walking outside when we need to see people if we want to see people. And so I understand his perspective. And that's why I think it's all the more important that the NHL had a better and very clear set of communications about this, whether or not the NHL is right. And, and they did not ever say that this was a certainty and they maybe bandied it about or they passed on some paperwork from the NBA to players. That was what they admitted to. You know, they did they did pass on NBA paperwork about how they were changing protocols, but they didn't make any promises. And whether or not that's true, if there is any misunderstanding, I have to put the blame on the league because in a situation like this that is so difficult already, there needs to be incredible clarity of what can be expected. We saw Wyshynski and Kaplan write a story after the bubble last year, the NHL bubble, where a lot of players felt let down by what they had been promised and what they expected based on what they were told and what they arrived to and had to deal with in the bubble. And you can't have that in a situation like this. You can't try to rosy it up. You need to let people know what it's going to be like and then stick with that. And this feels like a failure on that end. Absolutely. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, uh, as we mentioned, the NBA and Major League both, Baseball both have policies that state that when 85% of players and staff on a team are vaccinated, 
the league can ease restrictions when it comes to things like gatherings, right? But the NHL doesn't have to be in that same boat, but they need to be clearly communicating where they are in all of this. And frankly, they need to find a way to be communicating to their players at, at some level where a player doesn't feel like they're only recourses to talk to the media about it because now it raises a million questions for everybody especially for a league that just watched vancouver just have to sit out you know with with covid issues you're looking across saying okay how are we handling these things who's really in charge of it and who's fighting for who these are things that the nhlpa has been really active in trying to figure out so to have a misunderstanding here i mean yes part of it lays uh, lies at the feet of players getting and understanding the information but This sort of thing happening, this public to me, tells you that there's a massive issue between players and a league when it comes to COVID. Yeah, and last thing on this quickly, too, is I do get it. It's more complicated. There's different countries involved. And based solely on social media engagements with other reporters and people in Canada, it feels like the vaccine rollout and dealing with the COVID uh, pandemic right now in Canada is not going well. Um, that just makes things a little bit more difficult here in trying to make sure that there isn't a competitive advantage across the different divisions. Yeah, competitive advantage is such a weird thing to be talking about when it comes to this, you know. But but it makes sense. Yeah, <laughs> I, it's just one of the million different layers of this thing mm-hmm. that, that none of us, I mean, you think back to a year ago right now, none of us would have thought that we'd be dealing with this at this point, trying to figure out competitive advantage and mental health and how anybody can persevere through all of this to even consider being a professional athlete. I, I, the, the mental strain on everybody in, in, the, in the world I get is massive, but these guys trying to figure out how to play the game in these situations is, is I can't imagine being in their shoes. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We've got it out on Twitter for everybody. We've been casting coaches, by the way, uh, and I, you know, I had high hopes because this is all in the spirit of Kevin James being cast as Sean Payton in the movie being made about the Saints, which is a bit of a curious casting. So we've relied on you guys to sort of help us maybe get some of the other coaches cast along the way. We are not getting some of the predictable expectations that I would have had. Like I thought that we were going to get, I don't know, Kool-Aid man for Andy Reid. We did. And we haven't seen that once. We did get Kool-Aid Man once. I don't you know if you Kool-Aid? were not copied see, on it, but we did get Kool-Aid some of the expected, but also some great creativity from you all. Here's a few that we did get for Andy Reid. And you're going to have to Google this one. Don Carlton from Monsters University. This appears to be a man with a mustache like a walrus, arms like an octopus, and feet like an elephant. Uh, that's all I can tell you about it, and it looks just like Andy Reid. He also got a, uh, just a standard cartoon walrus, which is expected. The Kool-Aid Man, Eric Stone Street, which I like because he's a big KC fan, and Wilford Brimley, RIP, diabetes. Uh, Gruden, to your point, plenty of Chuckies. We got a lot of Chuckies, and we got a lot of Caliendos. We also got some Matt Damons, one I had not thought of before, but I can see it. He's not as good looking at Matt Damon. No, no. I mean, someone else said Brad Pitt, and I was like, "That's you've taken it too far. And that's uh, not going to happen. Uh, Brandon Staley, who, by the way, is in fact the head coach of the Chargers. I know. I know. Feel free to go ahead and Google. Uh, here's what I'll tell you he looks like. The following people, according to our viewers and Twitter followers, Jim Carrey, Christopher Knight, who you remember from the Brady Bunch, the ShamWow guy, Bill mm. Hader, Adam Scott from Parks and Rec, and Seth MacFarlane. I think I also saw Johnny, uh, what's his face, from uh, Knoxville. Johnny Knoxville in there. And then finally, Vic Fangio, 
What were you going to say? <laughs> I was just going to say he looks to me like every substitute teacher that's still trying to be cool. That's what he looks like to me. Yeah. He does. I think ShamWow guy really sums up his energy based on solely yeah. on photos. I know nothing about yeah. him. He does not look like a defensive coordinator. That's what he used to be, a specialist. He just doesn't at all. Finally, Vic Fangio got Vince Vaughn, uh, definitely with a little bit of aging makeup for sure, Polly from The Sopranos, and Stevie Van Zandt. Uh, this was a wild grouping. <laughs> there was a very wide range from cartoon walruses to Stevie Van Zandt. That's why we love you guys and all the participation that you give us in this. All right, Freddie and Fitzsimmons are coming up. Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, and Zach Wilson all joining them tonight. You don't want to miss it. This has been Spain and Fitz on ESPN <laughs> Radio. Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app.